This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. The reading is from Philippians 2, verses 2 through 3. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Before we begin, I'm going to pray. Um, Dear Lord, I just want to submit this time to you. Um, I acknowledge that you're here, and I acknowledge that the whole reason that you're here with us, the whole reason that we have a gospel, is because we've needed to have hard conversations with you. And because we've complicated our lives and messed things up so much that we've really needed divine intervention to fix any of it. And so we acknowledge that. We acknowledge you. We acknowledge that this is hard, that this is difficult, that we don't know what we're doing. And so I ask for your help to communicate this morning. And I just pray, Lord, that for anyone who really needs to to really be challenged or, or to hear or be encouraged by anything this morning or even over the next few months as the church looks at these these topics... Um, I just ask, Lord, for freedom in their heart to really be able to respond and engage the way that you would like them to. I just thank you, God, that you care about us and you care about the way we do or don't get along and that it's important to you. And so we acknowledge you and we acknowledge what you've done for us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I have a good buddy and he makes it into a lot of my stories if you've... I may have talked about him at church before. I always ask for permission to tell these stories. I didn't ask for permission to tell this story, so I'll find out later whether or not this was the right thing. There's nothing awful in the story. But he's a good friend of mine. We've been friends for a long time. We're both pretty strong personality, somewhat bullheaded at times people. And so we create lots of opportunities for me to talk about in terms of dealing with hard conversations or conflict just within our friendship. However, this is not one of those stories. Um, he's, a, he's been a sailor, kind of an amateur sailor, m- much of his life. And, uh, and a lot of years ago, he started pulling me into his sailing expeditions. Now, his first boat that I knew that he had or that I was ever involved with with him was basically a tree fort with a mast on it. And it was awful. And he got it in, he's a, he's a contractor, and he got it in trade for what must have been a very small job. And um, the, uh, the, it was just a miserable experience ever going out on that boat. And the biggest highlight of every single trip was the fact that we made it back alive. And so thankfully, he eventually sold the thing. And as of last year, he started getting together a group of guys and will rent a sailboat, usually out of Seward or something, and go out. Now, I'm not a sailor, and so any of you that are or know anything about nautical terms, I'm probably going to misuse them and misrepresent what happened. I'm, at best, a mediocre deckhand, um, and even that might be giving myself a promotion. But um, we went out this summer... And Chris has an unerring capacity to pick the worst possible weather to do anything in. And so according to all the weather, you guys, you're all Alaskans, you know how the weather reports are up here. They're just always unhelpful. And I'm uh, sorry if any of you do that for a living. I don't understand how you guys work. But the, um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the weather report said it was partly sunny, and so we're in Seward in the rain. And I guess they meant the top part of the sky was sunny and the bottom part wasn't, because that's the only way we knew how to interpret that. 
the people we rented the boat from um, were looking at us like, okay, you can take the boat out, but kind of had this look on their face of why would you do this? And we took the boat out and, you know, we had a very wet day. The next day we were out, we just went out for about three days out in Resurrection Bay out of Seward. Um, our second day we decided to cruise along the stretch of the bay that the Kenai Fjords tours tend to go along. There's a lot of sea life out there. It's a really beautiful part of the bay. A couple of the guys with us were um, working on getting their diving hours in, so we found a shipwreck to dive on, and we went and went to a few other places. And we decided we are going to go all the way out to the very mouth of the bay where it opens up to the ocean um, because there's supposed to be sea lions out there, and we wanted to go check out the sea lions. And it was cold and it was rainy out. And I was at the helm. I'm in the cockpit of the boat driving this, the boat out there. We had taken the seals, or the seals, we had taken the uh, sails down because uh, the winds weren't good. And so we're kind of motoring out there. And it wasn't great weather to be out there. Um, at a certain point, though, as we got out towards the mouth of the bay, all of a sudden it went from not great weather to making me feel not too comfortable with where we were at. We had crossed a line in the water, and we had crossed a line where all of a sudden the protection from shore was gone. Um, the wind and the waves had completely changed, and it was a real sudden kind of experience. And all of a sudden, we just kind of went from you know being in the boat to these big waves coming along, and the wind was, and it was just based off of the looks of people's faces and what was going on in my stomach we probably shouldn't keep moving in the direction we were going. That and the fact that all the other boats we saw were heading the other direction. Some of these signs are a little more obvious than others, but we were determined to go look at sea lions. <clears throat> so I thought, all right, I want to turn the boat around. And so I just turned it. You know, when you're driving with the engine, it's basically like uh, uh, you think it's like turning a car. And so I started turning it, and by the way, we got caught up in the wave, and the way the horizon was doing something different than my feet, and the way everything seemed to look like this is not a good thing, and the boat wasn't really as up and down as I like boats to be, I realized, I don't know how to turn this boat. And this seems to be more complicated. And so all of a sudden, my friend Chris also recognized I didn't know how to turn the boat. And so he came over, and he took over the helm of the boat. And as he was doing that, he started barking orders out to us, so that we could prepare the cabin for getting swamped or for having a problem, which both relieved us that he knew what he was doing and he kind of had an idea what to anticipate. And then it also didn't relieve us at all the fact that all of his preparations had to do with things getting worse than where we are at right now. So we real quickly did all of the safety stuff and prepared things to get worse. And then he did what he needed to do. I don't understand exactly what he did, but he did what he needed to do to turn the boat around safely in bad weather and in bad waves and to get us headed back into a safer place. And then he gave me the helm and just said, keep going straight. <clears throat> so I want to use that as a picture for uh, hard conversations. Um, the metaphor being um, the storm being when things get hard and the boat being the conversation. This week for me has been an exhausting and I would say fatiguing week. I'm, I feel very tired right now today. This has just been a week, just a truckload full of hard conversations. Now, I do this professionally for a living. I have hard conversations with people, sometimes because of conflict, sometimes because there's a lot of anxiety around a conversation that a group's trying to have, and I help them have it in a way that's productive and less anxious feeling, or there's just a lot of ambiguity or confusion or, or whatever. 
And so there was a lot of those conversations, which for some reason this week were harder than oftentimes. But then there were personally some really hard conversations that I was caught into or just marched right on into. And, and, and they, they took a certain toll on me, which is uh, any of those things have a, a unique feel to them when you know you're about to preach on this. And you really feel like you've got to get this right. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just going to feel like a giant fraud when I'm up here. And it was amazing how I was drawing blanks on what I needed to do, even though theoretically this is what I do for a living, is help people navigate these things. In the midst of it, the hardness or the difficulty of it became very, very apparent to me. The first hard conversation, and my wife said I can share this story, um, at the beginning of the week, my wife and I got into a fight. And it was one of those uh, overly dramatic fights that have to do with something that seems overly trivial. In, in its actual substance. And to try to explain what the fight was even about just makes it even more confusing. I'll tell you, it had to do with being asked to go get the baby's nail clippers. <laughs> All right? So I'll let you fill in the blanks. You probably will have a clearer idea of what we were fighting about than I did based off of that. And as we got into that fight, we both immediately um, did everything that we know that doesn't work to get this fight resolved. And then we were just embroiled into the middle of it. The second issue came at the end of the week. And um, I'm part of a a state regulatory board. And um, I'm a relatively new member on the board. And so I'm still getting used to how the board functions and the board members themselves. There's five of us on the board. (coughs) And we we meet three or four times a year. And this was the morning of a two-day meeting that we we had. And so the first day on the morning, we were talking about something, trying to resolve an issue. And then all of a sudden, it was like I had crossed that line, like in the boat. And all of a sudden, the the conversation felt really stormy and windy and like there was giant waves. And I had no clue what happened, what just happened in the conversation. And it all felt directed at me. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I couldn't even quite put my finger on, was this about me? It just felt that way. And to make matters worse, we broke for lunch, and I wasn't sure what was going on. Things just didn't feel good. And I follow the group down, and we go to the cafe, and I'm in line with them. Or I I came a little bit behind them, and I join them in line. And I hear them talking, and it sounds like they're talking about me. And I'm not sure, because I didn't use my name, but it just really sounded that way. And the fact that they stopped talking when I got there gave me an uncomfortable look and all looked away. Inside, I went back to fifth grade right there. I was like, I don't want to go home. I don't want to be here anymore. Nobody likes me. It just felt awful. And, um, and, and I, I realized I need to stay in this. I just have no idea what to do. But I better figure this out fast because I have to preach on this. I went to sit down with them. I get my lunch. There's a four-person table and there's one empty seat. I sit down with them and was literally ignored the entire lunchtime. Finished fast and left. Stayed up. Couldn't sleep that night. Kind of, what happened? What was, you know, what was going on in the conversation? So I'll come back to all of that later. Anyway, so those are two of, two of actually a lot of other hard conversations that took place this week. This stuff is common and this stuff is really normal. We experience it all the time. And this is why um, I actually want to talk about it. I'm not going to talk today just about conflict. And I'm actually, I, when I like to 
when I preach or teach, I'm probably more of a teacher than a preacher. Um, when I do this, I always like to give real practical steps and how-tos. I'm going to talk about some principles at the end of, of, of my time to, this morning, but I'm not going to get into a lot of real practical tools. That's why getting involved with what the church is doing with Life Together, that's for the tools. So you need to go do that to practice some of this stuff. I just kind of want to point in that direction and give some hope that this stuff works. And it works for lots of situations. And it's worth taking the time and the risk to learn. But the main thing is, 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 is this is really common stuff. And in fact, for some of us, the difficulties, whether it's conflicts or just awkwardness in relationships, have become so normal that we actually don't even recognize them as something different. And our ineffective ways of relating to them have become so normal that we don't even see that it's not really working well in the big picture. And because I do work a lot kind of in the workplace or the marketplace, so to speak, um, many, one of the, it's, it's, I would say it's kind of a, a frustration or maybe a heartbreak or a grief of mine that so many Christian leaders and business people and supervisors and managers and directors believe deeply, kind of almost at a gut theological level, that this stuff doesn't really work when you're doing business. When you're trying to get real work done, these principles don't apply. You've got to do it differently. And I can say emphatically that is not true. And if you don't believe the Bible, the science behind it also backs it up. Both uh, the science is a reflection of what, are, what of scriptural truths, and you just see that basically when people live out the principles in the Bible, life works better. There's no promises that everything magically is fine and you never have problems. In fact, there will be problems and challenges. But when we follow biblical principles, and we have wisdom in what those actually mean, not just our own preferred interpretation of biblical principles, but we have wisdom under, behind those. We are able to walk through these situations effectively. And that, to me, is hopeful. And something else that's important to think about is the gospel only makes sense in mess. There would be no gospel if there wasn't a mess. Right? The Garden of Eden didn't start out with the gospel. The Garden of Eden did not need a gospel. God didn't start out as the gospel in the sense of here's the way through the mess. The gospel isn't a thing on its own. It's good news that there's a way through these situations that we've created that we can't figure out how to get through. And they all have to do with relationships. First of all, the broken relationship between us and God. Secondly, the broken relationships between us and everyone around us. And the gospel says, I see that. This is from the perspective of God. I see that. And he loves us so much that he decided to intervene himself and to create a way through all of this with us, walking us through restoration and walking us through a place of hope. I'm going there. Okay, too many words on that slide. That was my fault. This is back in Philippians. And I just want to look at the scripture real quick, real quickly. The first part of the scripture is kind of interesting. Paul uh, is an interesting guy to read. Um, I get the sense he was occasionally sarcastic in life, which makes me feel a little bit better. And I personally see a little bit of that in this scripture. You may not, and that's okay. I'm not actually a biblical scholar, so sometimes I just say things and I'm not necessarily right. But he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ... 
any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit. Any, basically, he says, if there's any truth, if there's any shred of value in this stuff that we say we believe at all, if there's anything to this, and he repeats it like eight different ways, if there's anything to this at all, make my joy complete by doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Just that verse alone, that line, that sentence alone, radically confronts many of my behaviors, if not most of them. To do nothing from selfish ambition. All of a sudden, I look at this conversation I had in my, with my wife, and I look at what were my selfish ambitions with my wife? What about in this board context where I don't even know what the problem is? What were the selfish ambitions there? Were there any? How do I relate to this? How do I respond to this? Definitely with my wife, one of my selfish ambitions is that I wanted to be right and I wanted her to grovel wrongness in front of me. And I wasn't sure how much was going to be sufficient, but it was probably going to be more than whatever I was going to get. Do nothing from conceit. This is one of the trickiest ones possible. And, and I work a lot with both Christians and non-Christians and I've not yet decided who's harder to work with. But one of the things that seems to be really tricky for me and I think other fellow believers in Christ is we really delude ourselves about how conceited we actually are. At least I do. I'll just speak for myself. I delude myself. Conceit or arrogance or pride is so slippery and it's so sneaky and it's so hidey. And, and I've been a Christian for such a long time. I've been so good at learning how to deceive myself about my own deceit or my own conceit. And so I can't even see it because I can wrap it up into this beautiful thing of self-righteousness. And I don't even see that it exists in me. My conceit towards my wife, my conceit towards these other folks on the board, and the judgments that I so quickly went to and the way that I justified and validated those judgments and the, the, the assumptions I was making about their character and about who they were and what they were doing and, and all of that. This is why this is important. He says, because having this mind of doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves... Looking not only to my own interests, the Bible, interestingly, and we struggle with this, doesn't actually say our interests have no value. And we struggle with this because we don't know how to, how to, how to manage that. But he says, you can look to your own interests, but also, considering someone else uh, uh, more significant than me, also look to the interests of others. And this is where it gets complicated. And, and, and because of our vain conceits, I, at least, often think that the interests of others have to do with them figuring out how to be good like me, then that would be in their interest, as of, and that basically ways that aren't frustrating to me and aren't complicated to me. And I distort my perception of what their interests actually are. And then he says, this is why this is important. And he points to Jesus Christ and he says, and actually in this part of the scripture, he's actually quoting a song that used to be sung back then. But he says, Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, 
even death on the cross. And therefore he was exalted. So here's what he's saying. Now, in our arguments or our difficulties or our hard conversations, we believe we're right. And we believe that we're on the high ground. And we believe that we're, we're taking the preferred motivation in all of this. Now, Jesus Christ just flat out was right. He just flat out was on that high ground. He didn't have to wrestle through what's really going on in my heart and what are my interests and how does that fit with other people's interests. That, didn't, that wasn't really a question. I don't know, maybe he did have to wrestle with that a little bit because it, the Bible does talk about him being, having to deal with everything we have to deal with. But somehow he managed that stuff differently than we're able to manage it. But he came from the fact of being God. He came from being able to say, you know what, I'm tired of this conversation. Shazam, you're a snail. You know? Or boom, I'm just going to like flash a bunch of light and do a thunderclap and spook you real good and that'll end it. Right? And I just wonder if he was ever tempted to just say, okay, I've had enough of this. Let me just show you how this one rolls and I'm just going to do this. He never did that. And, our, and he had every right to do that. He would never even have been wrong necessarily to have done that. But because of humility, he never did that because of what happens to a relationship when you do not exercise humility. And there's something that uh, fundamentally changes a conversation and fundamentally changes a relationship or the potential within a relationship or the potential within a conversation when we introduce humility to it through our change of heart. You guys following, following me on that? So let's, let's look at how this looks a little bit. So here's some key, <coughs> key concepts that we see in the scripture. First of all, we see that humility is the key. This is what changes the whole situation. This is what changes the whole possibility in the story. But humility is sort of one of those uh, vague concepts that's hard for us to grasp. What does humility look like in this situation? What does it mean for me to be humble? We don't have a very mature understanding of that within, within the church or just within our culture. Well, the Bible kind of, at least in the scripture, gives a way that this can look. First of all, humility looks like finding the other person to be more significant than myself. This means, on a, on a deep level, actually valuing the other person. Putting myself into a place where I value you. Now, I want you to think of hard conversations that our country is going through right now. Go ahead and think about political conversations. Think about culture war type conversations. Go ahead and think about that situation in your family, that situation at work that just eats you up. Now think about those people on the other side who in a dark room, you can see the horns over their head. Right? The Bible says, see them, value them, as more significant than you. You can just wrestle on that one for a number of years. And the Bible says do it. Don't, don't gloss over that one. Don't brush past that one. That's a sticking point. Here's why to do that. Because Jesus Christ valued us. He did that for us. He said, you're so important. I'm so important. He's going to go through this prolonged process of changing everything about how he handles what his options were to come to earth, to kind of divest himself. Uh, some ways of interpreting that previous scripture is he emptied himself of kind of like his godliness in the sense of, of his power and his obviousness of being God to deal with all the stuff we had to deal so he could say this is possible. 
One way that we show value, if you're not sure, how do I value that other person when I so fundamentally disagree with them or they feel like an enemy to me? Is to take time to listen to and discover their interests. And, and we're not going to explore how do you do that. It's definitely a practice that you need to engage in to learn to do this. And I will say, if you can sign up for the uh, uh, Resolving Everyday Conflict courses, very, very helpful for learning how to do that. If you're not able to do that, there are other materials that you can get that will help you begin to work through that on your own or on your own time. I really strongly recommend that you do that because this is not something you can teach and then go do. This is something you have to go try to do, you fail at, you come back, you talk to them, you think about it, you pray about it, you go and you try again. And after like attempt number 52, you might get it right. But what happens is as you start working on these things, it does fundamentally change the way the conversations feel and the possible outcome. And I know that for a fact because I've experienced it time and time again. To take time to listen to and discover others' interests. So in my, my fight with my wife, my, my lovely Marta, she was on the slide for the retreat, women's retreat. Um, uh, she'll be out here at the next service. We're in this stupid argument about that got sparked by this request to go get the baby's nail clippers. And as we're arguing about it, and we're both getting into a lack of humility, both totally not interested in valuing the other person at all. In fact, I'm seeing just a tremendous lack of value in her as she's sitting over there. And not at wanting to acknowledge that in my own heart, but I'm recognizing that she doesn't seem to value me. I'm pretty tuned into that part of it. The, uh, um, in the middle of it, and this whole conversation took about 45 minutes to an hour. In the middle of it, we, we both started realizing, okay, we're doing this totally wrong. And we both started in a clumsy, fumbly kind of ways to hit the brakes and try to figure out how do we have this conversation appropriately. We tried to turn the boat around in the storm. And we were able to do it. And what we began by doing is communicating value to each other saying, okay, I want to do this differently. I want to have this conversation. I don't want to be... I no longer want to win. I, now I want this relationship. I want to figure this thing out. What's really going on here? And I started to, and she started to, we started moving ourselves to a place of trying to listen to the other person better, to accept what they were saying without immediately trying to figure out how to argue against it, and try to not listen to the words as much as what are they really trying to communicate? What's really going on in their heart? This is the interest. This is the thing that really concerns them, that's really driving them. And for some of us, more than others, that's a tricky thing to do. If you're like me, I can get hung up on how well are you actually articulating this to me. And if you don't get it right, I'll argue you down. Which is not at all an interest in someone's interests. It doesn't mean I care or value them at all. And so trying to listen behind the words and figure out, okay, what are you really communicating to me what's really going on at your heart? And then in that, I also have to, and this takes humility again, acknowledging what were really my own interests. Now, I have my own positions in the sense of this is what I want and this is how you should treat me and this is what you did and those are my positions. But my actual interest when we got down to it is neither one of us felt respected by the other. And it all had to do with previous things that had happened that day. And it all kind of, all of a sudden, popped out around this request of the fingernail clipper. It had nothing to do with that event, even though we were focusing all the energy on that 
and interpreting everything around that. But both of us had done things to each other where we felt less than, and this was our chance to get it out. Once we were both able to listen to each other and I was able to accept what she had to tell me and I was able to communicate what was going on in me, we were able to break through. Does that make sense? Same thing happened with the board. I, can't, I, don't, I don't have time to tell that whole story and it's actually still in process. But basically I had a, a conversation with the chair of the board afterwards and we sat down, we talked for about an hour and it turned out there had been a significant misunderstanding. Every, I'm the public member on the board. Everyone else on the board is from a certain profession. And I had said something, it was almost like a cross-cultural problem. I had communicated something which... Um, uh, from their professional background, meant something different than what I intended. And it had tripped off all of these kind of red flags for all of them, and they all got real upset about it. And once we were able to talk, and I was able to understand their interests, they weren't being a bunch of jerks. They actually had something of value that they were trying to protect. And then once he understood that wasn't what they heard, wasn't what I intended at all, we were able to work things out. And so now we've got a process to resolve everything and work it out. And, and it's, it's much better. But it took being willing to stay in it with my wife and not walk out of that conversation. It took being willing to stay in it for two days with this board who I didn't feel safe with and to meet with the chair and have a long conversation and figure this stuff out. It took staying in it. So that's where I'm going to wrap up. It's just some basic principles. Stay in keeping with your hands on the helm. If you're in a boat or whatever you're doing, you can't at some point say, this is scary, I don't know what to do, and walk away. Keep your hands on the helm. Don't run. Don't quit. Don't attack. Even if you don't know what to do, stay in it. Stay in that and find that place of grace. Find that place of humility. These things require courage. Courage is a virtue that isn't talked about enough in the in, it's talked about in the Bible. It's not talked about enough in church. There are no other virtues that have a chance at thriving in your life if you don't learn to exercise courage. Because the minute you get scared, everything else gets chucked. It's just our tendency, and courage is just such an important underlying value to have that allows anything else to exist. Prepare, pray, get help. Um, be able to acknowledge your own contributions to the problem. This is one of the toughest, toughest steps, looking at the plank in our own eye. Become curious. And I, and I wanted to say first, I said be curious, and I realized this, you can't just be something that maybe even naturally I'm not. How do I become curious in this conversation about someone who seems so fundamentally wrong to me? How do I be, take that attitude of curiosity? And this isn't... I'm not talking like a, a namby-pamby stuff or something from business school or something. This is scripture. Look to their interests, not only my own interests. This is what the Bible teaches us to do. This is what we are supposed to do. This is the stuff that works. Explore their interests and what makes them feel valued. I don't have to agree with them. I don't necessarily have to act the way that they, they're saying I need to do that. But if I take the time to really hear what they're trying to actually communicate and value them, it begins to change the conversation. I also have some accurate information to deal with now to begin to address them as a human being across from me, not just an opponent. And again, what, what happens frequently like uh, uh, with my wife, we're going to have lots and lots of other conversations and flare-ups and misunderstandings. I have to keep steering the boat. I have to keep staying engaged in my relationship with her. I can't at some point say, okay, I've done enough, I'm done, I'm tired, 
or just get sloppy with it. With this board, it's a little bit of a bigger conversation that I need to have with them. I feel really good, good about things now. The chair feels really good about things. But we need to figure out how to resolve everything with all the other board members because we didn't have a chance to talk together as a group. And so we've put a plan together and I need to stay engaged and walking through that plan, or both of us will, working this thing out so that the board feels good and we can continue to do what our job is together. Here's why this stuff's important. <clears throat> and this is what I'd like to communicate kind of as a, as a final thought. Uh, there's a hope and a promise in all this. Curtis Ivanoff was speaking at First Covenant where I attend, and um, he, he I don't know if this was his phrase or he got it from someone else, but he talks about the, having a wide and deep soul. And when we're unable to go into hard conversations with grace and humility, we actually have very narrow and shallow souls. We have very narrow and shallow relationships. The ability to learn how to have a hard conversation isn't just merely about coming to resolution of that conversation. It's also about stepping into the person that God created you to be with all of that width and intended depth that he intended for you, not just for you personally, but in your relationships. So there is part of you and part of me which I have not yet experienced in every single place where I allow a hard conversation to limit my ability to relate to somebody. Where my lack of understanding or my fear doesn't allow me to know how to enter those difficult, troubled waters it creates narrowness in my life and it creates shallowness in my life. And so I really want to encourage you that God has made a way. The principles in the Bible work. I use them all the time and I see transformation in conversations and relationships so consistently. It's why I get excited about this stuff and it's why I, I do this kind of work. But it takes practice and it takes intentionality on our part. I really want to encourage you to get involved in all of the Life Together stuff. And if you can't directly, again, find a way to get a hold of, the, of engaging with some of the content or the tools that they're providing in a way that will work for you. Because it, and practicing them. You can't just sit passively and hope it works and sticks. You've got to practice this stuff. So let me pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity that we have to glorify you in difficulty, that we, have, that, that we trust, Lord, that you are the Lord that enters storms and speaks peace to storms. But Lord, oftentimes you don't, and most of the time you don't just deliver us from every storm. Of all the storms we read about in the Bible, there's only one where you just spoke peace and it ended. All of the other ones everyone had to live through, survive through, and work through. God, we know that you've given us grace. And we, we know that you'll teach us the humility and the wisdom to have hard conversations in our lives, whether they're at home or they're at work or wherever they are. We ask you, Lord, that you help us to do this well in a way that glorifies you and practically demonstrates the gospel to the community and to our families around us. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen.